In part 4 of the series, we explore biblical principles for innovation, creativity and for people management. These are crucial functions in any organization. Innovation and creativity drive business. People make up the organization. The principles of God enable us to walk in the presence of God and experience the power of God. Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll read the verse of scripture, make our declaration, and uh, uh, then uh, we'll get into God's word this morning. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we're going to read verse 3. Hebrews 11 and verse 3 uh, tells us this. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith we understand, faith gives us this understanding that the worlds, this entire seen worlds, all that is in the natural was brought into being by the word of God. God's word was a spiritual material, if you will, that brought into existence everything that we see in the natural. And it says that the things which are seen, the visible, came out of what is not seen. It came out of the invisible. So the invisible realm supersedes the visible realm. The spiritual realm is more powerful than the natural realm. And uh, the creative material of the spiritual world is the word of God. Just as in the natural, we use bricks and cement to make buildings. In the spiritual realm... God's word is the material that creates and forms and shapes. And so God's given us his word to believe it and to speak it. As we believe his word, as we speak his word, we are releasing the power of the word of God to form, to shape, to construct in our world, in our realm. And what is not present in our world now by the releasing of the word of God, by the power of the word of God that's released, things can be brought into existence. Amen? Do you believe that? So that's why we, we teach and we encourage people, speak the word of God. This morning in our South Church, um, we had a baby dedication there. And this couple came forward. They testified uh, uh, how they stood on the word of God. I, if I remember the story correctly, maybe like three months into a pregnancy, the doctors were saying, you know, something, something went wrong with uh, her pregnancy. And, and, but then that's when they stood on the word and they spoke the word. She said she spoke God's word every day as she was carrying her baby uh, to see, uh, uh, her, uh, see it through to full term and have a normal delivery. So that's just a testimony of the power of the word of God. Amen. And we must learn to have faith in the word and speak that word and believe that God's word spoken into our lives, into our circumstances uh, will, will change things. So let's stand up to our feet this morning as we make our declaration. I want you to say it loud, bold and strong, believing that the spoken word of God will have its impact on your world. Let's say this together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his words. I believe his words. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated, please. We are uh, continuing our series like we do every Sunday. Uh, this, uh, on uh, the timeless principles for the workplace. Uh, this morning, we're going to cover chapters 7 and 8. All right. Uh, just by way of reminder, just want to make um, two points and then we'll get started. Uh, the first thing is this, that, uh, and I've repeated uh, this uh, over several Sundays, but we'll do it again, that 
the workplace of Bible times uh, is or was different from the workplace of today. Uh, the workplace of Bible times had to do with uh, livestock, with sheep and goats and animals and fields, farming. Uh, it had to do with palaces and kings. The workplace of today is different. It has to do with corporate offices, big organizations and so on. So the workplace of today is quite different from the workplace of Bible times. However, the principles, what God taught his people during Bible times in relation to the workplace, those principles are timeless. They transcend time, people, language and culture. Therefore, those principles are applicable to us today, are very relevant to us. And so in this series, what we've been doing is simply going back to the Bible, finding out, discovering principles that we could draw out from Scripture in relation to various aspects of our workplace, our life in the workplace, organization, and so on, and just bringing that out so that we could understand it, learn it, and then go out there and practice it, live by those principles. The second point that I want to emphasize and make here again, which is, which is just a repetition, is that the principles of God enable us to live in the presence of God and experience the power of God. So principles, presence, power. Let's say it together. Principles, presence, power. So the principles of God enable us to live in the presence of God. And enable us to experience the power of God. We can't separate these. Because the Bible says, for instance, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who may dwell in his holy hill? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Meaning, who can get into the presence of God? Somebody who's been living by the principles of God. He's walking with the principles of God. Having clean hands and a pure heart. He experiences the presence of God. So we can't separate them. We can't isolate them and say, you know, I'll only want the presence. I don't want the principles. Sorry. It's the principles that lead you into the presence. You can't have either, I mean, one of them. You need both. And, and it's a living by the principles that enable us to experience the power of God. So one thing that you and I will discover is that as we begin to assimilate these principles from the word of God and begin to live it, we are going to be able to walk in the presence of God in an increasing measure and also experience the power of God at work in our lives, in the workplace, in an, ex- in an increasing measure. Amen? So let's not neglect the principles of God. They're essential. They're important to us. So this morning, uh, in chapter 7, we want to talk about the aspect of innovation and creativity uh, in relation to our workplace. Now, innovation and creativity is very, very important. It's what drives business, businesses, and all kinds of activity. It's because there is innovation and creativity. We come up, we discover, we come up with new products, new services, which drive businesses. In medical science, because we are discovering new things in medicine, we are able to help people. Hospitals are set up, and and and, and new things, uh, new services are given to uh, uh, the sick people. So innovation, creativity is essential to every form of uh, business activity or activity in the workplace. Now, not only in those terms, in, in, in not only in terms of discovering new products and services, but also. In everyday situations, every day, we face problems, we face challenges. There may be small things. Uh, maybe there's an, a, a, a workplace conflict happening. Uh, maybe you need to uh, uh, find out new ways to uh, cut down your expenses or uh, various, various things we find in small things every day. And we need innovation and creativity to come up with new solutions to those problems. Are you with me so far? So, innovation, creativity is important on a large, grander scale, a bigger scale, but also on a day-to-day basis. We need to be innovative in, and, and dealing with uh, in workplace situations and uh, handling everyday challenges. Now, uh, there are all kinds of innovations. There is uh, business model innovation, just doing business in a, in a different way. There's marketing innovation, how you bring uh, products into your market. There's organizational innovation. There is a process, product, or service, or supply chain innovation. So you can innovate in so many different ways, in different aspects and facets of organizational life. And, and uh, 
many of us are familiar with, uh, with things, things that we've seen in recent times. Some of the world's innova- most innovative companies that, that you and I would just, you know, mention, like Google or, uh, you know, in the technology area, like Facebook or several companies, uh, they all began by either trying to solve an existing problem or meet an existing need or do something that's not been done before. And so they began innovate, create, come up with something new. And in many cases, they became extremely successful uh, and had global impact. What do we find in scripture in relation to this aspect of our work life? There are several very exciting things that we can discover in scripture. So regardless of what you're doing in your workplace, whether which industry, uh, which line of work, there are things that we can all use from scripture. Page 93. First of all, we must understand that God reveals, instructs, and teaches, so ask Him. We must learn to go to God, ask Him for solutions, ask Him for creative ideas, ask Him for things that, uh, that, that, that we want to discover, we want to understand. In Isaiah 28, verses 23 to 29, the passage that we've listed there, the Bible brings about this truth that it is God who taught the farmer how to do his work. It was God who taught the farmer, gave the farmer understanding that he had to plow the field a certain way, sow the seed a certain way, wait for the harvest, then reap the harvest and process the harvest in a certain way. I'm not reading the entire passage, just summarizing it. That God is the one who taught the farmer how to do this. So somewhere in times past, when somebody first started farming, how did the farmer gain understanding of how to do what he did? It is teaching. The Bible is saying it's the God who revealed to the farmer, who instructed the farmer how to do it. What can we learn? What can we infer? That God is interested in teaching us about the world and the creation in which he's put us. Amen? Uh, you can encourage me a little bit this morning. <laughs> Said so it's God who's interested. He's interested in teaching you and me about things we face in life, in our work life. In the world around us. He's interested in revealing it. He knows about it. But he's, he's, he's desiring to teach us about it. And so what we must do is proactively ask him. Saying God please show me. This is, my, this is what I'm doing. If you're an educator. Lord show me how I can better educate people. Uh, if you, you know, you're in some, some sort of product development. Lord how can I do it? If you're in technology. Lord what are some things I can use technology for? What can I do with these things? Ask him. And, and he will be able to reveal things to you. And me. Wisdom is the most important thing. Page 94. Solomon says this in Proverbs chapter 4 verses 5 through 9. He says, get wisdom and insight. Don't forget or ignore what I say. Do not abandon wisdom. She will protect you. Love her and she will keep you safe. Getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. Whatever you else you get, get insight. Love wisdom. She will make you great. Embrace her. She will bring you honor. She'll be your crowning glory. So wisdom, having insight into the true nature of things, having the ability to use knowledge to solve problems, having foresight to see what is up ahead, all of that takes wisdom. Having the ability to understand, gain insight into the the world around us takes wisdom. And Solomon says, get wisdom. It's the principal thing. It's the most important thing. When you have wisdom, everything else will come into your life. It will attract everything else in your life. So wisdom is what we must be after. Ask God. God, give me wisdom. You are the source of everything. In my area of work, you give me, you fill me with wisdom. Maybe you're a salesperson. Maybe you're in marketing. In, in your area of work, ask God for wisdom. He will impart that to you and me. Welcome the spirit of wisdom to anoint you. The Holy Spirit, one aspect, one facet of who he is, he is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Wisdom. So many times when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think about, you know, speaking in tongues and, uh, you know, all the manifestations of power and all that's wonderful. But don't forget that the Holy Spirit is also the spirit of wisdom. So one of the manifestations, the expression of his presence and his work is wisdom. And that's desperately needed. We need wisdom. He is the spirit of wisdom. Isaiah 11 verses 1 and 2. The verse passage we've quoted there. And so you and I must say. Holy Spirit come grace my life. 
fill me with the wisdom I need uh, for whatever I'm doing. Give me wisdom. And he is waiting to empower us, waiting to release wisdom, the ability to look into things, the ability to uh, bring solutions to problems, the ability to have foresight, to know what would be coming up and, and, and get ready for uh, things up ahead. The Holy Spirit is there. We, welcome, we must welcome him. There is an anointing for artistic and creative skill. Just as the Holy Spirit empowers us with the gifts of the Spirit and, and doing uh, uh, those kinds of things, the Holy Spirit also empowers us with artistic and creative abilities. Amen? An example of this is in uh, Exodus, the 31st chapter, the passage that we've quoted there, where God says, Moses, I've anointed a man named Bezalel and some others with him. I've put within them the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to impart to them, give them the ability uh, to design artistic and creative things with gold and silver and precious stones. And the Holy Spirit is going to give that ability to them. So in those days there was no National Institute of Design. You couldn't go there. <laughs> no, none of that. Where did they get all of that ability? It came from the Holy he gave it to them, and then they did their work. Now, let me ask you a question. Has the Holy Spirit retired? Or did, this, did he say, you know, that was the only time I could do that, and never again? No, the Bible says, I am God, I do not change. If he did it then, he can do it for you and me today. So in whatever field or line of work you are in, you and I can ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, give me this creative ability. In some cases, we may need the artistic abilities to do what we're called to do. To so ask Him, and He can empower us with that. So that's God's empowering. That part is God's empowering us towards innovation and creativity. But let's talk about our responsibility in this area. What should we do? Page 96. Don't just identify the problem. Bring the solution. So when in, in your workplace, in the things you and I do and engage with, don't just identify the problem. Be a solution finder. Go after finding solutions to the problems you're faced with. Because it's always easy to point out the problem and stop there. But that's not going to help anybody. What we must do is people not only identify the problem, but go past that and say, how can I find the solution? And that's exactly what Joseph did. In this example here of Joseph in, in Genesis chapter 41. Uh, when he comes before uh, Pharaoh, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He says, there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And Joseph says, God help me do it. Now Joseph didn't stop there. He didn't say, okay, Joseph, this is, uh, okay, Pharaoh, this is what God is saying. Now good luck. Figure out what you're going to do. He didn't stop there. What did he do? He went beyond that and he said, okay. Now, here's what you need to do. This is what's going to happen. You know there are seven years of plenty. And after that, there are going to be seven years of famine. It's going to be very hard. We know that because God's spoken that to us. But now, Pharaoh, this is what you need to do. During the seven years of plenty, every year you store up 20% of the harvest. Save it. Store it up. Preserve it. So that when the years of famine come, you can sell what you've stored to the people. Get it back to the people. You will have enough to carry you through the years of famine. So he brought the solution. He said, this is what you need to do to handle this problem that's coming up. Amen? And as we mentioned, innovation and creativity flows through people who are solution finders. They either try to meet a need, they either try to solve a problem, or they try to do something that's not been done before. Thank God for the Wright brothers. They saw the birds flying and they said, maybe man can fly too. And they tried it. What if they sat down and said, you know, no, that's never going to happen. But thank God they experimented it. They tried and they tried and they tried. And today, you and I enjoy the benefits of somebody trying to do something that was not done before. We can travel the world. But somebody had to start. So I want to encourage you and I. Let's be 
people will go after solutions, whether it's small things or whether it's big things. Go after solutions by the wisdom, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Page 97. Step out to think and act in unfamiliar territory. You know, we are all comfortable uh, doing things that we do routinely. Things that we do every day. And there's nothing wrong with it. We, we, we are comfortable with that. But I want to encourage you and I that when we are given the opportunity or when we are faced with situations that we have never handled before, not to back away from it, but to have the courage and faith to step into it. Think about David. We read about this in First Chronicles 28, chapter the passage we've lifted, listed there. David was a shepherd boy. So when he was coming to handle sheep, he was an expert. He knew them in and out. But then he became king. It was a new thing for him. But God empowered him to do that. But while as king, we see something more. That the Holy Spirit enabled him to come up with the design of Solomon's temple. And again, David had no background, no experience in that area. But because that was in his heart, that he wanted to build a dwelling place for the, for the presence of God. And because it was something that stirred up in him and he was moved to do it. The Holy Spirit enabled him to do something, step out into an area that he had no training, no experience. And he designed Solomon's temple. And he gives Solomon the instruction. He says, Solomon, all this design, I'm giving it to you, First Chronicles 28. And it has been given to me by the hand of the, hand of the Lord upon me. What's the point? When you and I are faced with situations or, uh, or we're given opportunities that we may not have uh, encountered before. Maybe that we've never handled something in that scale. Maybe we've never uh, taken on something in that area. But when it comes our way and you feel God wants you to step into it, step into it boldly because the empowering to do that comes from the Holy Spirit. Amen? And most of the innovation creativity happens when we step out of what we are always accustomed to. When we step out and explore, when we step out and experiment, that's when we begin to see lots of new things, new ideas, new solutions. So it also teaches us something about the workplace. That in order to create an environment where innovation and creativity can be part of our culture, can be, can be encouraged, we need to have a, a, a create a climate that supports it. Create a climate that, uh, that gives people the opportunity to step out of what they normally do. Give them the liberty to experiment. Not, of course, at the risk of ruining the company, but definitely within perimeter, within guidelines, give people an opportunity to experiment. Page 99, enhance your knowledge, understanding, and skill. Increase your knowledge. When you're faced with a problem, bring all the knowledge you have to bear on the problem. So expand your knowledge. Read widely. Learn. Keep on learning. Increase your knowledge, your understanding, and skill. Look at Daniel chapter 1 verse 17. It tells us something about God. It says, God gave these four young men knowledge and skill in all learning and understanding. Now let me ask you, what's this learning and understanding having to do with theology? Come on. Let me ask you again. What's this learning that Daniel and his friends were undertaking? Did that have to do with theology? It actually had to do with the knowledge of Babylon. And who empowered them to learn the knowledge of Babylon? The God of heaven. <laughs> Most of us would never dare say that. God will empower me to learn the Bible, but he will never empower me to learn the things of this world. That's how we think. But our thinking is wrong. The Bible says here, God gave Daniel and his friends the empowering they needed, the knowledge and the skill they needed to learn what? To learn the things of Babylon, the language, the literature, the customs, whatever they had in those days. For three years, they spent three years, I think two or three years, they spent that time learning about the things of Babylon and God enabled them to learn it. And learn it well because they came out with first rank. They were toppers. 
So what's the point? Don't be afraid of the knowledge of this world. As Christians, you know, we are so scared. But listen, if you want to impact the system, you need to know how the system works. You need to know, you learn, whether you're in business or technology or medicine or whatever area of field you are, read, learn widely. And these days, as we've said earlier, so much of, uh, we have so much access to knowledge and information. But we've got to make the effort to learn and God can empower us in that learning. Are you with me? So go and ask him. Don't be afraid. You know, yes, when you read your Bible, you say, God, give me insight. But when you're opening your business book, God, give me insight. Pray the same prayer. Amen? So I never heard this before. <laughs> but it's in the Bible. It's God who gave da- Daniel and his friends the ability to learn. So don't be afraid of increasing your knowledge, your understanding, your skill in the things of this world. Because that's how we are going to impact the world. We're not doing it just for ourselves. You know, I want to be uh, some big person. No, I want to use all this to, to be, to innovate, to create, to help people, to help mankind, to help people, and to glorify God by blessing others. So that's what motivates us. And we're not doing it for some personal gain. And uh, uh, use your imagination, train your memory. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Who designed the mind? The God or the, God or the devil? You're not sure. <laughs> Who designed the mind? God or the devil? So is it okay to use our minds? Are you sure? You're really sure? I think it is. We must use our brains, our mind, the intellect, the powers that God has given us. He designed it. He gave it to us. The only thing he's called us to do is to keep it sanctified, to keep it holy, to keep it in submission to his laws, his presence, his his anointing. And as long as we're doing that, then we need to use our mind. Part of our intellect, uh, especially in the area of innovation and creativity, is our imagination and our memory. So that when we recall, we, we remember things we've read and learned, we bring that knowledge to bear on the problem and imagination. We simulate in our minds various scenarios. Think outside the box. Think, uh, you know, various scenarios. We can do that in our imagination. And so train your imagination. Train your memory and use that to innovate and create. Don't be afraid to use your mind. Just keep it sanctified. Keep it in submission to the Lordship of Christ. Amen? Now, let's move to the next chapter, which is chapter 8, where we are going to talk about people, processes, performance, and rewards. And so typically, this would have to deal with what we would call as the human resource uh, function in the organization, taking care of people. Now, that's very important that we take care of people who work uh, in our organizations because people make the organization. Uh, Without them, the organization won't exist. We can't deliver. We can't do things. So, uh, it's imp- this is a very important area of work life. And uh, we're going to address this this morning uh, from principles. Uh, that What does the Bible say on how the organization should treat its people? In a later chapter, we'll talk about workplace relations. Of how do we re- relate to each other within uh, our workplace? But this chapter deals with how should an organization uh, relate to its people, take care of its people. Here are some things we find in Scripture. Firstly, uh, we begin by saying, pay fairly based on contribution, value to the organization. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, Masters or employers, give your bond servants or employees what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Meaning pay people just and fair uh, with equity and with fairness. Now, when we, when we say that, it does not mean, we understand that small organizations may not be able to pay as much as an organization that's as large. I mean, depending on their capacity, they're able to they pay according to the, what the organization is able to do. But as long as it's an understanding between them and the employee and they're, ab- and they're taking care of the employee well, uh, there is the understanding that this is just and fair. We're doing what's right. Are you with me so far? 
and we pay people according to their value, uh, according to what they're bringing to the organization. Uh, we avoid things like entitlement where people say, you know, I've been in this organization 25 years, therefore I need a whole lot. It's not just about that. It's about the value. It's about what you're contributing to the organization. That's important. Of course, time in the organization, we value that as well. But uh, it's got to be just and fair. And especially in the area of technology. You know, uh, I, I, I'm saying this not to embarrass any of us, but, you know, uh, you, you have people who are uh, fresh out of 12th standard. And, you know, these graduates have just finished 12th. And they can solve some of these problems much better than, you know, us guys who have been doing it for years. Because maybe we've, we've been so outdated or we've not kept up with technology. And, and, and so there you can't just go by your age. Right? You've got to see what value. What are they bringing to the organization? Uh, how, are, how are they um, are contributing? What, what is their value? And so uh, keep that in mind. Pay what is just and fair uh, to people. Page 104. Ensure people are paid on time. You see several scriptures there. I'm just going to read one of them. Leviticus 19.13. Do not rob or take advantage of anyone. Do not hold back the wages of someone you've hired. Not even for one night. So don't hold back. People's pay. And of course, I understand there are times when some of us are running our own businesses. There may be times when we don't have the money to pay. And so we've got to inform our employees, you know, I'm waiting for funds to come and I'll pay you. I understand that. But normally, when organizations have the money and they fail to pay people on time, the Bible says their cries go up before God. And God notices that. So whether you're, you're doing a monthly pay cycle or a bi-weekly pay cycle, whatever it is, pay your people on time. Don't hold back their wages. Pay them on time. You know, uh, and uh, when I get to talk to people and I hear these things, you know, uh, sometimes you hear people, you know, I left that organization three months ago and I still haven't got my last two months' salary. And what makes worse, matters worse is when Christian organizations do these kinds of things. When I say Christian, I mean the owners, the managers are believers and they hold back people's salaries. It's, it's very, very shameful to hear of this happening. It happens in our city. And they call themselves Christian businessmen. They don't pay people on time. They hold back, hold up their salaries. And I, and I think God will. Not I think, I know God will hold them responsible. That is, an, it's, it's unacceptable before God. When I was running a software company, and even in church, it's, it's, it's a said thing. On the last day of the month, everybody's salaries get remitted. There's, there's nothing. We, we don't even want to delay one day. It's, it's said, it, it has to go. Last day of the month, salaries get transferred. If it's a holiday, the next day, it gets in there. It's, it's, there's no question about it. Why? Because this is important to us. People must be paid on time. 105, page 105, don't exploit people. Don't hold back wages. Jeremiah 22, 13. Doom to him who builds palaces but bullies people, who makes a fine house but destroys lives, who cheats his workers and won't pay them for their... So you get people to do their work and you don't pay them. God doesn't like it. In these days, of course, we have vendors. They may not be necessarily employees. They could be vendors, external vendors providing services. Uh, you know, sometimes they give one month credit. That's fine. But when payment is due, pay it. As part of our church policy, we don't do anything on credit. And we don't ask any of our vendors for one month credit. No. The moment you give a bill, that, that day, the next day, the payment goes. That's how we work. It's important for us to pay people on time, never hold back wages, uh, just get things done. Never exploit the poor and the powerless. Deuteronomy 24, 14. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy. Whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Do not oppress the poor and the needy. Now, you know, many of us, and again, I'm not, I'm not you know, hitting at anybody here, I'm just making a comment here. You know, many of us have servants working in our home. Uh, of course, we want them to come every day and work. But, you know, sometimes we, including me, can get ridiculous. They don't come one day, we'll threaten them. I'll cut off one day's pay. <laughs> or two days, whatever. You know, it's so ridiculous sometimes the way we treat our hired servants in our homes. 
And the Bible says, do not oppress the poor and the needy. Do you know, they are really powerless. If you tell them, I'll hold back one day's visit, what can they do? At the most, they can go find a house, some <laughs> job somewhere else. They have no voice. They can't say anything. And they are human beings. They don't, you know, they don't get PF. They don't get, you know, uh, four weeks annual vacation. None of that. They are made some hired people in the house. And one day they miss because they're sick or they have to go visit somebody. And we cut. Come on, we need to be bigger than that. You can say an amen. Amen. Don't oppress the poor and the needy. Think about them. They don't have a voice. They don't have anything backing them up. So let's be even more generous to them. I'm not saying spoil your servants, but treat them with honor. Treat them as people. And don't exploit them because they have no voice. They can't do anything. Yesterday something happened. We you know, had a driver come. And it's just an example here. Uh, and the uh, first time this guy came, he took the car, my car, he took it out of the garage, he turned around, and he scratched the whole side. I was like, oh. And I was telling him, stop, stop. You know, he didn't. Like, I said, no, you got to reverse. He didn't. And he scratched the whole side. I was like, oh. Now, what can I do? I can't tell him pay for it. <laughs> He's a driver. He's just barely, probably ma barely making ends meet. And, you know, I, I stood there for a few minutes. I was like, okay, what do I do? And I shook his hand. I said, thank you. You can go now. <laughs> I'll drive my own car. And I let him go. You know, But that's all I could do. Because I can't say pay for it. I can't get angry with him. What can I do? Look here where he is in life. He's just driving. He's just a driver. He probably barely makes it month on month. What do you do? Just forget. Forget it. You know, we'll take care of this ourselves. And just release him. So, so that there's a, the point I want to make is, you know, there are people who are working for us who are really helpless in their lives. Whether it's our maid servant or a driver or, you know, your gardener or, you know, they have nothing. They have no voice. Let's be even more generous to them. Because there's nobody speaking up for them. Page 106. Higher right... Retain, review. Proverbs 26 verse 10. An employer who hires any fool that comes along is only hurting everybody concerned. So you got to hire right. You just can't hire anybody that comes along uh, because the person you hire is going to impact, influence the rest of the people already inside the organization. So hire right. You, you should need to have your own uh, requirements, your own uh, job description, your profile, your recruiting process, hire people not only based on their skill, but also their compatibility to your organization's culture and values and things of that nature. Uh, because eventually when they come in, they're not only bringing their skill, they're bringing their whole personality. They're bringing who they are as a person. And they may be great, highly skilled, but if they've got a bad attitude, they'll spoil the whole basket. So you've got to be careful when you're hiring people, getting them in, Choose right, not only based on skill, but also on these other factors. And also, uh, learn from people who are, whom you've hired. The people who are doing well in your organization, look at them. Why are they doing well? What's going right for them? The people who are struggling in your organization, why are they struggling? What, you know, we hired right, but why are they still struggling once inside the organization? Maybe something wrong that we can improve, uh, areas of support that we can improve. So you continuously learn. And of course, when they leave, is also a great time to learn. Asking them questions. Why are you leaving? Uh, doing the exit interview. Why are you leaving? What can be learned? So doing these things will help us uh, uh, take care of people w in, within the organization. Treat people the way you'd like to be treated. Jesus said this, do for others just what you want them to do for you. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So treat people like people. They're not machines. They're not robots. They're going through stuff in life, just like you and me. So if you're the project manager and one of your team members calls you and says, boss, you know, today, uh, I mean, this is a genuine call, not a fake call, but, you know, saying, you know, boss, today uh, something has happened in my home and, or I'm not well or uh, it's an emergency and I can't come. You know, don't shout at me say, you lazy fellow, you always do this. <laughs> Treat people as people. 
He also has a world and a life where things happen. Take care of them. And sometimes, and I, I'm not saying you should do this, but sometimes when I go to talk to people and I, maybe they are not well or something, I say, you know, why don't you just go home and rest? I tell them, go home and rest. Say, so you do that, yeah? Tell them, go home, rest. Why? Because they're people. I know there's work to be done, but they as a person are more important than the work that needs to be done. And when they realize that you value them as a person, their commitment to the organization will increase. Treat people as people. Treat people the way you would like to be treated. If you were in their situation, how would you like the organization to treat you? What would you like the organization to do for you? Do it for them. Amen? Warn, page 108. Warn, but never threaten or abuse. Ephesians 6, verses 8 and 9. Remember that the Lord will reward each of us, whether slave or free, for the good work we do. Masters, employers, behave in the same way towards your slaves or employees. And stop using threats. Remember that you and your slaves, that you and your employees belong to the same master in heaven who judges everyone by the same standard. So he's saying, you know, treat them well. Treat your employees the way the Lord treats us. And do not use threatening. So when we are working with people, we warn them. If their performance is not up to par, if they are not doing things that are they're supposed to be doing. Of course, we need to sit down with them, tell them, warn them. But don't threaten them. Deal with them as people. Let them know what, you're, what is expected of them, how to get there. But don't use threatenings and abuse them. Empower people for high performance, page 109. In Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24 to 28, the Bible says there are four things which are little on the earth, but they're exceedingly wise. I mean, they're small things, but they have a lot of wisdom. We see a lot of wisdom in them. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in summer. Then I skip a few lines there. The locusts have no king, yet they all at once in ranks. I also want to read the other passage from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. The Bible says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. So, the Bible says, try to learn something from the ant and from the locust. It says, look at the ants. They're little insects, little things. But, they demonstrate so much wisdom and it points out two things about the ants. One, they gather their food in summer, preparing for the winter. And secondly, it says, the ants have no captain, overseer, ruler. So you don't find the boss ant saying, go left, go right, go straight. You don't find that. But the ants work in spontaneous teams with no leadership, with no oversight. And they can do amazing things, things that are much greater than each individual size. So you can see, you know, ants, they're moving a whole twig, got a leaf. A lot of them lined up. They're all pulling it up. They can build big nests. They can come together and make a float and float across water. I mean, they can do amazing things when they all come together and they all work in spontaneous teams, meaning no leader. And then he also points to the locusts. He says, you know, the locusts are like that. They also don't have an overseer. They don't have a boss. Now, locusts are typically solitary insects. You'll find them here and there by in, in individ, uh, individually. But under certain weather conditions, they begin to swarm. So literally millions of locusts come together. And there is no captain. There is no boss saying, let's go together. Let's move left, right, nothing. They all just swarm. And then as a swarm, they begin to move together. And they can be very devastating. Acres and acres of, of greenery can be just destroyed. And they have powerful impact. The Bible says learn something from them. Again, they work in spontaneous teams. So, what can we learn? That we must empower people to work in spontaneous, for spontaneous teamwork. We are not doing away with leadership. Leadership is important. Leadership is there to provide vision, direction, organization, so on. 
But when people work, we need to give them the liberty to work in spontaneous teams. Get together. You figure it out. You work together. You come up with the solutions. Go get it done. And when we empower people in such manner, we get high performance. Like what the ants can deliver when they all work together. Are you with me? So something that we can learn as we, uh, as we work in our organizations, and many, whatever you are, a project leader, manager, you know, sure, you, you're responsible for giving direction and, uh, and structure and, and vision and all of that, but give people the liberty to work together spontaneously. And it happens in church as well. You know, uh, for example, we, we may have the ushering team. So uh, we, we have a service coordinator who, who oversees all the teams here. Every team has a team leader. But beyond that, we don't dictate terms. We have set guidelines that this is what we expect of our volunteers. This is what we expect of people in a worship team. We have those guidelines. But beyond that, they are free to organize themselves. They are free to determine. For example, uh, in our ushering team, we give one requirement. We need to get, uh, if communion is served, we need to get it done in five minutes. So whether there are 500 people or 5,000 people, that's one requirement. Get it done in five minutes. So now, how they get it done, how they can organize themselves, is up to them. They will work it out. Give people the freedom. Because then you are empowering people. Let them come up with their idea. You're going to empower them for high performance. And like that, there are different areas where we, we, we set the goal, we, we declare, um, uh, set the vision, let people figure out how they're going to do uh, last few points should be close. Page 111. Remember, sweetness of lips increases learning. Proverbs 16, 21 to 24. The wise in heart will be called prudent and sweetness of the lips increases learning. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Sweetness of lips increases learning. So when you want to teach people, when you want them to learn something, don't start by saying, you fool, you don't know anything, listen to me. It will never get in, it will just bounce off their head. But sweetness of lips, it's not, it's not just enough what you say, but it also matters how you say it. Sweetness of lips increases Pleasant words are like honeycomb. They'll just, they'll just take it in. What pleasant words. So parents come and say, he's never listening to me. And quietly last, how are you telling it to him? <laughs> because pleasant words are like honey. It gets in. And it, it, it also edifies the person, makes them feel good. When you speak that way. So how you speak. So when it comes to um, an organizational setting, create an an organization that, that, that encourages learning. That encourages exploring, experimenting. You know, one of the great things about learning is we must give people the liberty and the permission to ask questions. In our Indian culture, and and forgive me if I'm wrong, but this is my observation. We think asking questions is either a sin or a sign of ignorance or a sign of rebellion. That's our culture and it's wrong. So if the boss is talking, nobody should ask any questions. Why? Because if you ask the boss a question, you're undermining his authority. Even if he's wrong. But that's not the way you create a learning organization. A learning organization says asking questions is good. It's a sin not to ask questions. It's good to ask questions. Why? Because that shows you want to learn. That shows you are thinking. Not just swallowing. Blindly. So ask questions. It's a good thing to ask questions. And as leaders, we must be happy that our people are asking questions. It means they are thinking. They're not just blind, following. Hopefully the leader is not blind. (laughs) Last month, every month we have a pastor's meeting. 
uh, all our pastors get together and we sit down and we talk. Uh, sometimes we have a plan. We talk a little bit about administrative things and then we, uh, you know, we intend to do a little Bible study and all that. But last time we met and uh, I just did a simple thing. I said, does anybody have any, I don't know what I said, questions or uh, any challenges you're facing? And that was it. One after the other. The whole hour and a half went in just, pe- our, just people asking questions. And then we looked at the time and said, look, oh, we haven't even started our Bible study. Time's up. But it was a wonderful time because we were just asking questions. How do we handle this situation? What do we do in a case like this? And it was a great time for all of us just to uh, let people ask questions and learn from each other. It was nothing was planned. We just opened it up and all kinds of questions began to come uh, as, as pastors asking questions. But it was a great time of learning. So I want to just say this. You know, let encourage people to ask questions. And when people ask questions, respond positively with pleasant words. Here's the answer. People will learn. Be supportive and even when people make mistakes. Proverbs 9.11 says, Smart people know how to hold their tongue. Their grandeur is to forgive and forget. So when people make mistakes, don't put them down. Encourage them to try again. Be supportive. Of course, set guidelines so they don't you know, do things that will harm the organization. But be supportive. Page 112. One standard for all. Show no partiality. These things belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality in judgment. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous, him the people will curse. Nations will abhor him. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. So it's so important in an organization that when somebody's wrong, we say it's wrong. And when somebody's right, that's right. No partiality. We don't say, you know, he's the bar, or, you know, he's a senior person. We can't tell him what he's doing is wrong. No, if he's doing it wrong, it needs to be dealt with in that manner. So there is no partiality. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. We deal with it. Listen to all sides of the story. The first one to plead his cause seem right, seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. So if two people are having conflict and you listen to only one of them, you think he's right until you listen to the other person. So listen to both or the, the group involved or the people involved. Listen to all sides of the story, then make your decision. To settle a dispute, quiet the quarrelsome person first. Proverbs twenty six twenty one. A quarrelsome person in a dispute is like kerosene thrown on a fire. So if you have a group and in the group there's one person who's just really uh, uh, quarrelsome, is really making a lot of noise, get him, aside, get him aside, deal with him separately, deal with the group separately and resolve the matter. Because that one person is like kerosene being, kerosene being thrown on fire. He, he uh, uh, you know, instigates the entire group. And so if you can get, deal with him, you can deal with the entire group. Use the power of a gentle response. Proverbs 15.1 A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So in any you know, group meeting, team meeting, discussion meeting, strategy meeting, sometimes things can get really heated because there are differences of views, opinions, ideas. Get tense. So when you feel the temperature rising, you be the calming person. A soft answer turns away. Speak gently into that situation. Calm things down. Keep gossip and strife out of your work environment. We've done a whole study on gossip earlier this year. Proverbs 17:14. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. The moment you see strife or gossip happening in your organization, you've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. And some of our staff have received, been on the receiving end because I've dealt with it and I said, that's not the way we deal with this, the handle these situations. No gossip allowed in church, not in the church office. No gossip. Or for that matter, even in our teams, when we find out something's going wrong, step in, correct it. No conflict, no strife, no gossip. We've got to protect the organization. One last thing. Show troublemakers the door. Proverbs 22 verse 10. Cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. So sometimes we have to deal with underperforming employees or people who are causing problems, internal problems. You've got to deal with it. And you've got to know that you need to release them in order to protect the organization, to stop 
uh, their negative influence on the whole organization. So if somebody's underperforming, they're not able to, you know, deliver the goods, and of course, you've got to release them. But also if somebody may be highly skilled, they may be, you know, doing a lot of good work, but they're having a negative impact on people. They're causing a lot of strife, causing a lot of harm to other people. Uh, we understand that one person's skill cannot compensate for the, the work of the team. The team is always more important. The organization is always more important than one person. And so you need to deal with that because of their negative influence uh, on the organization. Are you all with me so far? All those who are awake can stand up. <laughs> Let's call our worship team up. So this morning, uh, we've talked about innovation and creativity. We've also talked about things the Bible teaches us on how to take care of people who are part of our organization, who are part of uh, what we're doing, our people, processes, rewards. Let's take a few moments just to pray right now. And uh, this morning, I know we've covered a lot of ground. But if there's even one thing that's spoken to your heart, in these few moments, I would encourage you just to pray about it. Would you just talk to the Lord about it this morning? Or maybe you want to pray and say, God, just, I pray for the spirit of wisdom in, in, in things that I'm handling, the situation I'm faced with. I want you to just take a few moments to pray before we close, please. Let's just wait upon the Lord for a few more minutes before we close. Give me 
Father, we just pray that that the things we've heard, the things we've learned this morning, God, we will take with us into our homes, into our places of work, and begin to do things aligned by your aligned with your principles, oh God. And Father, I just pray for a release of the anointing of your spirit upon your people, God. That we, your people, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will bring forth your purposes. That we will be able to innovate, to create, to bring solutions to problems. To find new ways to address the needs of people. That God, your wisdom will flow through our lives and our places of work, oh God. Whether it's small decisions or big things, let your wisdom flow through each of us. In what we do. Grace our lives, oh God, we pray. By the wisdom, the anointing of your Holy Spirit and be glorified through each of us. Before we close this morning, I just want to take a moment to give an invitation for anyone here this morning who has never received Jesus Christ into your life. We never prayed a prayer welcoming Jesus into your heart. I want to just lead you in a prayer. The entire message of the Bible is summed up in this one core thing that we are sinners and that God loved us so much that He sent His Son Jesus to die for us on the cross bearing the entire punishment of our sins. He was buried. He rose up again. He's alive today. And anyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins is made a child of God receives eternal life our sins separate us from God our sins take us to an eternal place called hell but God's offered his provision to rescue us to save us from our sins and so the only thing the Bible invites us to do is to repent and believe to repent means to have a change of thinking to say that the way I'm going is wrong and believe put your faith in Jesus Christ I just want to lead us in a prayer if you've never prayed this prayer if you've never repented and believed I want to lead you in a simple prayer to do that this morning you could pray this with me dear Lord Jesus I'm a sinner I believe you died for me. You rose up again. That you're alive today. I ask you to forgive my sins. Come into my heart. Make me a child of God. And give me your eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Let's close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the sweet abiding fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a good Sunday and a good week. God bless. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.